Just two weeks, we're going to celebrate National Back to Church Sunday. Now, not every church in America celebrates that, but thousands and thousands of churches do celebrate National Back to Church Sunday. What it is, it's just a perfect time for you to invite your friends and your neighbors and your family and your co-workers to join us for a special day, a fun day. That's the primary purpose of National Back to Church Sunday, is for you to have a, an occasion to invite your friends to come and your family to come be with you. But there is a secondary purpose to that. And that secondary purpose is for us to refocus and to draw closer to God, learn to put him first in our lives, renew our minds about how important church is, about how it's a God thing. It's not just something that we do because it's traditional. Uh, It's something that God wants us to do. So I ask you to pray and pray and pray some more about who you should invite and for the people that you should invite and then invite those people to come and be with you. The theme this year is now is the time. And we're going to talk about now's the time for salvation, now's the time for the grace of God, now's the time for the mercy of God. So many things, now is the time for those things to happen. But for each of us, now is the time to invite someone to be in church with you. And this statistic, I don't know who came up with this, is, is, I assume, true, is eight out of ten people say they would consider coming to church if invited. They didn't say they would come. They said they would consider coming if somebody invited them. And so I asked you, who will you invite to back to church Sunday for two weeks? And we had these really cool invite cards. Uh, on the front of them, you know, it's just the, the, the theme for the year. And on the back of them, there's a schedule of services and a map and so forth. And I encourage you to take as many of those as you will give to people, invite them to come to church uh, in the next, uh, uh, next week or next two weeks. Uh, then the sun, this Sunday and next Sunday, what we're going to do is we're going to just talk about subjects, kind of get us ready for that. Back to church Sunday. Who are you going to invite? Pray for some folks. If you don't know who to invite, just pray for people uh, and, and ask God to lay somebody on your heart. Today, uh, just kind of get us ready. We're going to uh, start with a question that I guess has been asked before. The question is this, do I have to go to church to go to heaven? Do I have to go to church? If church is that important, do I have to go to church to go to heaven? Now, let me give you the simple answer to that. Simple answer to that is no. I do not have to go to church to go to heaven. You go to heaven because you repent of your sin and you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Salvation is a personal relationship between God and an individual human being. Your mama can't do it for you. Daddy can't do it for you. Grandfather who was a preacher can't do it for you. It's an individual relationship between a person and Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus said. Most well-known scripture in the Bible. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. That would be Jesus. The, the, the unique, the one-of-a-kind Son of God. If you are a, uh, are, are a Christian, if you're saved, you are a child of God, a son or daughter of God. But Jesus is unique in that. He's the only begotten Son. And God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus that whoever believes in him, whoever places their faith and trust in him should not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life, live with God forever. And then verse 17, we don't read that a lot, but verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him 
might be saved. And so we get that saved word, and it's connected with everlasting life. We talk about being saved. We're talking about being saved from our sins and saved from hell and given the gift of eternal life. The Apostle Paul was once asked when he was in the North Greece city of Philippi, he got thrown in jail and he was out of jail and we don't have to need know all the things that happened. But the jailer asked him, what do I have to do to be saved? And he said in Acts 16, 31, here's what you do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And to the church at Ephesus, Paul said this in Ephesians 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so salvation is by the grace of God, that is, him giving us what we do not deserve. It's through faith as we, uh, as we trust in him. It's a gift that God gives us. It has nothing to do with the good things that we do. You don't get it and you don't keep it by doing good works because if you did, you could brag and you could say, I'm better than you because I'm going, you're not going, but you can't do that. It has nothing to do with our works. However, verse 10 says this, for we are his workmanship. God's the one that put us together. God's the one that saved us, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The reason we get saved is not just to keep us from burning in hell, but it's so that we will do things that God wants us to do. Good works don't get us saved. Good works don't keep us saved, but good works are the reason that we are saved. And the latter part of that verse says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That in them, that means that God has a plan for every life, your life, my life. It involves church, by the way. But when we ask the question, do I have to go to church to go to heaven? The answer to that question is no. But church is where people who know and love God should go. And church is where people who love, know God and love God should want to go. Church is where God tells us to serve him by serving others. People who are submissive to God go to church. You know, Jesus grew, grew up going to, well, it wasn't exactly church, but it was the Jewish version of church because there was no church, right, when Jesus was growing up. But in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, Scripture says this, so he, that is Jesus, came to Nazareth. Now, of course, he's already in public ministry. Now he go back, goes back to his hometown, <clears throat> came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, that is, this is what they did every Sabbath day, every Saturday when he was growing up. As was his custom, he went into the synagogue, <clears throat> and on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Now, Jesus grew up going to church. He had a family that went to church every Sabbath day, or went to synagogue every Sabbath day. Now, Jesus promised in, in the New Testament to be with his church whenever we gather together, such as a meeting like this. In the context of taking your disagreements to the church and the binding and loosing power of the church, the local body of Christ, Jesus said this to his church local, Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Church is important. One of the reasons that Jesus founded churches was as support groups. Not the only reason. We'll talk about some other things next week. Not the only reason, but, but, but here's the truth. You can't make it on your own. You cannot make it on your own. You can't live the Christian life without other people encouraging you and helping you and holding you accountable. You will, I will. Let me just say me. I will drift away from God if I don't have you helping me to do that. So for today, what we're going to do 
I'm going to go back to that familiar passage of Scripture. I think I've used it in the last, because we did I Love My Church not too long ago. But we're going to go back to that familiar passage in Hebrews chapter 10. Let me just make a reference to verses 19 uh, and 22, because the overall theme of this passage, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, is summed up here in these two verses, and I'm not going to get into all of it, but Hebrews 10, 19 says, therefore, brethren, and then you have all these dependent clauses, and then you come to the real clause in verse 22, therefore, brethren, therefore, brothers and sisters in Christ, therefore, all you Christians, all you people who have trusted in Jesus, therefore, brethren, let us draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So he said, therefore, and in that, the intervening material, he gives all of his reasons why we, he, we, should, we have direct access to God and why we should draw near to God. So the first thing in this passage of Scripture, he says, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to draw near to God. Second thing he says in, in, is in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. So first draw near to God. And then he says, uh, 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 and building on that first one, we need to hold tightly to the hope that we have in Jesus because he is faithfully holding tightly to us. We're to draw near to God, which requires that we hang on tightly to the hope that we have in Jesus. And those are difficult things to do. As fact, in fact, you cannot do them on your own which leads us to the third command in this passage of Scripture, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, the verses we'll look at. Verse 24 says, And let us consider one another. Let us get to know each other. Let's, let's, be, let's be aware of what's going on in each other's lives. Let's think about uh, each other. It's not all about me. My life ought to be more about you than it is about me. So let us consider one another in order to do this. Stir up not ill feelings and anger, but in order to stir up love and good works. We must help each other by getting to know each other and by encouraging each other to do the work of God from a heart of love. And, and, and in order to do that, he says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You have to assemble if you want to do that. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. We don't want to forsake it, we want to do it but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we're going to look at that, that verse of Scripture and, and just look at three really simple lessons about the importance of church today. This is about as simple, I think, as you can get. Three simple lessons about the importance of church. And the first one is this, God commands His people to assemble together. That is, God commands, go to church. That's pretty simple. God says, go to church. Back to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Notice that, the, that coming to church is, is more than a suggestion or a good thing to do. Christians are commanded to go to church and, and to be an active part of church. God never commands us to do something we can't do. If God says to do it, it's something that we can do. And, and, and he, he, he commands things because when we do those things, it's good for us. You know, it makes us better, makes us happier, it makes us more fulfilled when we do those things. Church is necessary if we want to draw closer to God. Church attendance and church participation is necessary if we want to hold on tightly to Jesus as he is holding on to us. 
we won't, you won't, I won't do that when we're on our own. Don't lose hope in Jesus. Don't give up on Jesus. He will keep all of his promises, and we meet together to encourage each other in that. That word that's translated forsaking, not forsaking, means to abandon. It means to desert, abandon your post or desert uh, as a, so a soldier, you know, is on duty, and he or she is, is at a certain post, and if they abandoned that post, if they betrayed their army, that's what forsaking church means. Verse 24 and 25, when we, we look at them together, considering one another, not forsaking each other, indicates that the church assembly, getting together as a church, is a primary way, uh, an important way that we get to know each other, that we become genuinely concerned about each other so that we can cons- encourage each other to live our lives for God. So first thing we note here is, is, is that God commands his people to go to church. Here's the second thing that we notice is that some Christians have abandoned church. Now, evidently, this is an issue that goes way back. Right? This was not written yesterday here. This was written uh, to first century Christians. Evidently, that's always been a problem. Back to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, verse 24 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. Holman Bible, Holman uh, Standard Translation of the Bible, uh, looks at verse 25 and translates like this, Not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do. Every believer in Jesus Christ should be a part of a biblically sound church. Every indication in Scripture is that people were part of a a local assembly, part of a church. That's the way God prescribes us to worship together and serve Him together. And yet a high percentage of believers are either not members, uh, not connected uh, to a church, or they don't attend very much. Why is that true? Well, you can only say it's true for one reason, and that is because we see other things as more important. You know, if we, did, if we saw church as being really important, we'd come. If we don't come, it's because we don't see it as important. We're too busy, right? I mean, we're, this is, we live in a busy world. We're too tired. A uh, company came in at the last minute and stayed a little bit longer than expected. Aunt Susie doesn't like to go to church, and so we just don't go. I have to work. I have to work on Sunday. You know, I can't come. I had an appointment that was important. It's my only time to rest, sleep late play golf, ride my motorcycle, have time with the family, go fishing, just plug in, <laughs> whatever, whatever you want to plug in there. We call it missing church, don't we? I missed church last Sunday, or I missed four weeks in a row. But remember what Jesus said, Matthew 18, 20, remember? For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So it's not just missing church. Missing church kind of waters it down. It's not just missing church. Uh, It's missing the special presence of God. Is God with me wherever I go? Yes, God is with me wherever I go. Can I worship God uh, other places uh, than church? Well, I should worship God all the time, everywhere. But there's a special meeting of God and His people that takes place when church happens. And, uh, and, And so when we miss church, we're missing this special time uh, of the presence of God. But you know what about churches? Churches are full of hypocrites. I've been hurt by people that call themselves Christians and go to church all the time, even held a position uh, in a church. And those people, they think they're better than anybody else. Well, perhaps some of that or all that is true. 
It's all true sometimes, somewhere. But God still says, go to church. It's still a command of God, go to church. And the Bible still says that that's where he intends for us to receive encouragement and accountability. We should ask ourselves this question. What am I teaching my children when I don't go to church? Well, what you're teaching is that everything else is more important uh, than God is. And that's the life that they're going to live one day. One day they're going to live their life as though God is just secondary. He exists and he's okay and, and, and we'll include him sometimes. But when we don't go to church, that's what we teach our children. That's why they live the life that they live. Now the writer of Hebrews is telling us that regular church attendance is critical to spiritual growth and spiritual health. You want to be spiritually growing and spiritually healthy and you want your family to be that way, go to church. Jesus and his church must be a priority. Put God first in your life. Put his church above a lot of other things on this earth. Sometimes things do happen. You know, uh, Dave Scott is stuck in, a, in an airport <laughs> in Miami and couldn't make it. Sometimes things happen and you can't go to church. Uh, some things do honestly keep you from meeting with God and worshiping with his people. Uh, but, but try to make it a priority anyway. If you have to work on Sunday, does that mean you can't go to any service of the church if you're working? Can't, how about uh, Sunday night small group? How about Tuesday night house group? How about Wednesday night uh, house group? You can make God and his church a priority even if something keeps you from being at a worship service. Todd sometimes has to work on weekends because if he doesn't work, he doesn't get paid because he is the business. But when he does that, he chooses to come to church Sunday morning and work Saturday and then work Sunday uh, afternoon. Now, some people don't have that choice, but it's the way that Todd can make the Lord and his church a priority. Some of you have postponed, vac postponed vacations, come home early from vacation. Some people have worked all night and come to church on Sunday morning. Remember uh, uh, Joy Cowart, Joy Spencer Cowart, who used to play keyboard uh, for us? Uh, she was a nurse. And she would work all night long, uh, get off at 7 o'clock in the morning and be here and play keyboard for us and then go home and crash. Well, here's what, uh, here's what the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the, is the, as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That's the last thing I want to talk to you about. The third thing, third lesson is this. The day is getting closer. The day is coming. That, uh, one commentator said that word and the way it's used should be properly understanding as, 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 as a period of time that's expected to come when something remarkable is going to happen and, and that something remarkable should have a great influence on us. Now there are various phrases in the Bible. I'm not going to tell you all of them. Uh, for the day, but uh, 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 various phrases that talk about the return of Christ one day, the day of the Lord, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, the day of judgment, the day of God, uh, terminology that's used in different contexts. Scripture teaches us from beginning to end that one day everyone will stand, in, stand before God in judgment. Everyone, not just Christians, but all people are going to stand in judgment before God. And one day the world as we know it is going to come to an end. And here's the general tenor of Scripture and the prophecy of Scripture. 
The world is not going to get better and better and better and better and better until it's so good that God just comes back and takes over. But the world's going to get worse and 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 worse until God has to do something about it. And when the world gets to a certain point and God knows this in his timing, then something that we call the rapture takes place. That is the catching up of God's people. And God's people are going to be judged, not for heaven or hell, but for how we've lived our lives. And that judgment is called the judgment seat of Christ. And that's followed by on this earth after God takes his people out of something that's called the great tribulation, the great time of disaster and trouble, political disaster, ecological disaster, financial disaster, everything far worse than we can imagine, ended by something that we call Armageddon, this great battle, followed by the thousand years, the millennium, the thousand years of peace on earth, the rule of Jesus, followed by the release of Satan, and then the destruction, the burning up of the universe as we know it. And then there's another judgment called the great white throne judgment. That's where all the unsaved people are going to be judged because their names are not written in the book of life, followed by the lake or the sea of fire for those who have rejected Christ and the new heaven and the new earth for those who have trusted in Christ. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews is telling his, his readers in that short thing about the day he is telling them to keep the day in mind. Keep the judgment day in mind. Because it keeps getting closer and closer and closer. Here's how Peter put it. I love this passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation because it flows and it's accurate. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some men think. That is, Jesus promised to come back, but He hadn't made it yet. All right? So He's not... He's not, hasn't, he's not slow about it. No, here's what he's doing. He is being patient for your sake. He's thinking about you. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. He's being patient because he wants everyone to repent of their sins and be saved and go to heaven. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. But, verse 10 says, the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly. It's going to catch people off guard like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements, the very building blocks of matter, the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment, will be destroyed. Verse 11 says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. How should that motivate us? Knowing the day is going to come? And Peter says, well, that ought to make us really live holy and godly lives. That ought to make us stand up and say, oh God, you know, you alone are important and I want to serve you. Verse 12, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. How can I hurry that along? Well, by living a godly life, that's how. On that day, continuing in verse 12, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. Verse 13. But we, that's not what we're looking forward to, but we're looking forward to new heavens and the new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. That's what we're looking forward to. And so, verse, four, verse 14, so dear friends, while you're waiting for this, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives 
that are pure and blameless in his sight. You want to hurry it along, live lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, verse 15, remember this, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. That's the reason he's waiting. The Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. So keep the day in mind. Invite people to back to church Sunday so that they can know about God or, or renew their relationship with, with God. The writer of Hebrews put it like this in Hebrews 9.27, as, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. And so we go back to those verses. Last time I'm going to read them to you today. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider one another. Let us think about, let's get involved in the lives of each other to, in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Don't, don't give up church as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So do I have to go to church to go to heaven? Nope. No, you do not have to go to church. The answer is still no. I, I read one old preacher who, put it, who said this. I'm just throwing it out. He said, if, you want, if, if what you got won't take you to church, I doubt if it will take you to heaven. <laughs> one man's opinion, right? If what you got won't take you to church, I doubt if it will take you to heaven. You don't have to go to church to go to heaven. But people who love God want to be with God's people. People who truly love God, love his church, and want to be a part of it. So I say to you, now is the time. Now, that's our theme. Now is the time. For each of us, now is the time to, to serve God, but now is the time to invite somebody else to be with us in that. Remember, eight out of ten people surveyed said they would consider coming to church if invited. So I'll ask you again, who will you invite? Who will you ask to come back to church? Think about that. Pray about that. And you know, uh, periodically over the last three or four years, I have brought up three commitments. And I want, to hit, I want to give you those to you one more time. Most of you are very familiar with them. Here's the first one. Let's love first and then stand against sin. Love first. Why do we go on love first? Well, without going through all the scriptures, you know, love is the law is our theme. Without through, going through all the laws, if you don't love, then I don't care what else you do. It doesn't matter. Just a waste. Whatever you do. doesn't matter if you don't love first. Number two is this. Let's determine to pray more than we worry and to spend more time in God's Word than we spend worrying. Because, because wishing and hoping and griping and complaining and worrying and fretting is not the same as praying. So let's pray more than we worry. And the third thing and the last thing is this. We're better together. I came up with that before Hillary did, by the way. I've been using that for uh, uh, several years now. We're better together. So let's commit ourselves to each other and to Christ in church membership. Let's commit. We're not made to be alone. We're not made to just drift around. We're made for each other. We're made for relationships. And one of those primary relationships is to be a member of a local body of Christ where we love each other and care about each other and help each other and work with each other and gently put our arms around each other and encourage each other to do the right thing. Do I have to go to church to go to heaven? Nope, you don't. But you couldn't be in a better place. So who will you invite to come with you in a couple of weeks? So let's pray together. Father, I know you're here with us, and that's why we want to be here. We want to be here because you're here. And I thank you that there are people here who care about me and who pray for me and who support me and hold me up. 
and, and, and I want to do that for them, and I know we want to do that for each other. And I ask you to guide us in seeing what's really important about life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, shall we, and sing. And I'll be here for just a few seconds if I can pray with you about something.